Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes out of Luke's gospel, the first chapter, beginning with verse 39. And just as a heads up, I'm going to add some extra scriptures to this. So it stops at 45 in your bulletin. But I'm going to read on through 55 because I think it bears to today's sort of theme, if you will, this idea of love at the heart of Christmas. So here with me now the words of the Lord. In those days, Mary went, uh, set out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leapt. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And while this has happened to me, that the mother of the Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that which was spoken by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their throne and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise that he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather this morning in this tabernacle to be fed by your Spirit through prayer, through song, through sacrament, through the preached word through the offering of our gifts. And as your spirit fills our cup to overflowing, may we go forth from this place filled with your spirit to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I have a colleague in ministry, one of these churches that's got all the technology in their worship center. And so invariably, from time to time, he does a poll. And he'll say, folks, take out your phones and go to this website, and there's a question, and I want you to answer it honestly. I mean, you're in church, right? I want you to answer it honestly, and as soon as they do this, all the data is shown on the screen behind him. I want to do a poll today, too, but we're going to do a different kind of poll. We're going to do an old-fashioned poll. Each of you's got an arm, so after I ask you the question, I just want you to raise your hand. Ready? Simple questions. How many of you have watched a Hallmark movie this year? Raise your hand. How many of you have watched more than one? Be honest. Okay, making sure, Meg. Good. 
So what is it about these Hallmark movies that we like this time of year? I mean, essentially, if you think about it, I mean, it's a sappy rom-com set at the Christmas time with maybe at best a C-list cast of characters, right? Now, some people think that that's maybe understating it. Others think it's overstating it. But anyway, the basic idea is all of these movies sort of follow the same formula, don't they? You have the protagonist, some up-and-coming careerist that lives in the big city there in a powerful career, and it's one of those dark cities that's always gray. The snow is never white and fluffy. It's always kind of that that yucky color snow, you know what I'm talking about? The gray, black snow. But anyway, for some reason, they have to travel to small-town USA where it's always sunny. And despite the fact that there's 12 feet of snow on the ground, it's always bright, it's always fluffy. Everybody seems to be able to walk around with, you know, just a flannel shirt, no super, you know, parka or anything like that. And somewhere along they bump into the other character. You know, that character that's got, you know, the boy or girl next door kind of charm. And at first they don't like each other. Remember, they get on each other's nerves, but it, they kind of grow on each other, sort of like kudzu grows on the side of the road here in the south, Right? Well, pretty soon something happens, almost, you know, maybe it's love, maybe it's not, we kind of like each other, we're not sure, but then right the week before Christmas, maybe even the day before Christmas, the big city calls, that career opportunity, and they have to get on a plane or a train or whatever, automobile, and go straight back, but there's this tension, and you know what happens, right? I mean, at that point, they celebrate the kiss right there in front of the church, right up to the start of the Christmas Eve service, and they don't go back to the big city, and they live happily ever after in small-town America where the snow is always light and fluffy, and they cue the credits, and we're all like, aww. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's very formulaic, and they live happily ever after, but what we like about these movies, I think, is that it sort of paints this picture and there's this idea that love is out there. That the world is not as always gung-ho and always cutthroat as we think it is. That maybe there is this spot where all of our dreams could come true. So a little holiday fun for you. Those of you that are traveling, raise your hands. Are you going to travel for the holidays? There you go. Just you're playing along. Thank you. Here's what I want you to do. You've got the basic formula. Now, while you're traveling, I want you to create your own Hallmark movie script. You've got the formula laid out in front of you. Figure it all out. Have some fun with that. But while you're thinking about that, the reality for us is that our Advent journey, it's not just a journey of hope, of peace, of joy. As we saw the fourth candle being lit today, it's the journey of love. Because love really is at the heart of Christmas. It really drives what we do. When we look at Luke's passage today, you have Mary who is traveling to see Elizabeth. And we see this picture of the love that is at the heart of Christmas. The text uh, recounts this idea of Mary's blessedness. Here, this simple girl from a small town has been chosen by God to bear the Son of God. The text says she is blessed four times. And so we get to the sort of the, the penultimate part of that is verses 47 through 8, where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. See, this Magnificat, Mary is professing a deep love for God, a deep sign of faith which surpasses something even greater than herself. 
So as we think about this idea of love at the heart of Christmas, we begin to look at all the characters that are wrapped up in this. And you've got Mary who, she, she sacrifices herself, she sacrifices her status, she submits herself to something that is greater than her. And then you have Joseph, her betrothed, who has such a deep love for Mary that he wants to do right by her and do the right thing for her maybe even at his own detriment. And then there is God who sends his son down to earth where love came down just for us to show us the way to change the world from the inside out. And so it's in that moment we begin to realize the whole idea of sacrifice at Christmas, this idea of sacrificial love where we're thinking about others and not ourselves takes root. So our Advent journey, as we think about love at the heart of it, we begin to think along these same lines. A love in which we humble ourselves for something greater than us. A love when we do that which is right, even if it's not popular. A love in which we want to change the world for the people around us. That's what's really at the heart of this journey for us. That's what's at the heart of Christmas. That's what the takeaway that comes out of this. I mean, think about it. When Gabriel first announces to Mary what's about to happen, Mary protests. She says, please, not me. Who am I? I am so unworthy of this. This will cause problems for me. Yet Gabriel persists. Gabriel reassures her and Mary relents. She yields her lowly status she knows might even get knocked down a peg or two more, but yet she sees a higher purpose because God is in the mix. God is calling her to humble herself even more so. So there's a lesson for us to learn in this. I mean, you think about this idea that we would humble ourselves for something that is bigger than us, for God's purposes, for God's kingdom, that we might lower ourselves. Think of an encounter that Mother Teresa had on the streets of Calcutta. There was a wealthy Hindu woman who came up to her and said, I like what you're doing. How can I help? And Mother Teresa sort of took stock of this woman. She was beautifully dressed in the most beautiful sari that there was. And she said, that's a beautiful sari. How many do you have? And she says, I buy a new sari every month. I spent about $800 on saris. And Mother Teresa went out on a limb in this conversation. She said, what about this month when you go to buy a new sari? What if you only bought a $500 sari and took the other three and bought saris for the poor? Now, where she went on a limb is in the culture of the day, the sari was not only a symbol of the caste or the class you were in, but it was also how you defined your own beauty, how the more you spent on your sari, the more beautiful it was, the more regal you thought of yourself. So Mother Teresa was asking this woman to buy a less expensive, less ornate, less beautiful sari, and thus lowering her visual standard to the world. Over time, the woman did that. But not, she didn't stop, though, at the $5 sari. She kept buying less expensive, sorry. So one day she ran to Mother Teresa and she said, you know, that conversation we had, it's changed my life. I'm only buying $100 saris now. 
And Mother Teresa stopped her. She back said, please don't buy anything any cheaper than that because now Mother Teresa was worried about this woman's dignity. And the woman said, no, no, you don't understand. It has changed my life. I am doing so much good for others. I don't mind. Now think about that. She was challenged to just lower her standard, her self-esteem a little bit, her standard of living within the, within the community, and yet she went much, much lower because she saw the benefits, the bigger picture of providing clothing for other women. Where and how can we humble ourselves for the greater good of God's kingdom? What's the message that we can take away this year for that, this Advent? But once we also learn not to just humble ourselves, we learn that sometimes part of love is doing the right thing even when it's not popular. We think about this in terms of Joseph. I mean, when the angel tells Joseph what is, what's happening, Joseph's at this crossroads because in the culture of his day, he knew there was going to be a lot of questions being asked. And so Joseph wanted to do right by Mary and just wanted to break the engagement and send her off quietly. Not to ridicule her, not to make a spectacle of her, not to hurt her pride anymore. But as the angel tells Joseph what is really happening, whose child she's bearing, Joseph begins to get this idea that maybe what is right is to do that which may not be popular. Because he loves Mary so much that he stays with her even to the detriment of his own reputation. Because you know the conversation was being had on the street corner. You know, you heard that, jo you heard that Joseph's fiancée is pregnant, right? You know he's not the father, right? And yet they get married and this is my wife, he says. Love at the heart of Christmas calls us to do what is right even when it's not popular. Think sometimes when we gather sometimes in circles of friends, when maybe one of our friends is not there, there is this human temptation to tell stories. Did you hear? What about that? Did you know? I can't believe she, or I can't believe he, or how do they afford that? You know, this thing that starts out as an idle question, it really becomes this feeding frenzy of gossip. It makes you wonder what they say about you, right? When you're not in the circle. But what happens the next time that we're gathered together, especially here at the holidays, when that starts about friends or family, if we said, you know, that's my cousin. Or that's our friend. Or that's not right. You don't know the whole story. What if we challenged the narrative and we put a stop to the conversation Yes, it puts us on the chopping block, if you will, because as soon as we are not in the circle, they may talk about us, but should that matter? Shouldn't what matters is that we say the right things, that out of love we stand up for those who are being talked about, even if it's not popular, simply because it's right. See, that's what Joseph did. Joseph's love for Mary was to do that which was right, not that necessarily which was popular, not the custom of the day. What if we did that? 
Finally, think about how God sent his son to turn the world upside down. So many times we talk about it at Christmas that love came down at Christmas. That's really what this is about, is that Jesus sent, I mean, God sent Jesus to transform the world, the greatest love for all of us. I mean, you think about all of the impact that that one night has had on the world since. And with this transforming power of love. In post-World War II Canada, there was a man by the name of Jean Vanier, and he was really struggling with what to do with his life following the war. And someone put a bug in his ear that maybe he could do something to help handicapped people. And so on a whim, he bought a house. A house with no indoor plumbing, a house with spotty electricity, and he invited three handicapped men to live with him. And he cooked for them, and he cleaned for them. He fed them, and he bathed them. And what he found was in this moment, the four of them, that there was this great community in their house, as rough and spartan as it was, that there was love to go around, that there was community. There was purpose in valuing these men. He called his house L'Arche, L'Arche, sorry. He called his house L'Arche, the French word for arch. And he thought of it this way as both as a boat. If you look at our sanctuary, we have these arches and it looks like the hull of a ship. And he realized that we are in all in the same boat together in life. But the other part of the arch is thinking of it as a bridge between humankind. This idea of building community. So now there are over 100 large communities across the world. Lives that were thought useless are now transformed. Lives that were thought afflicted are transformed. Able-bodied and disabled-bodied. See, the real gift is community and dignity and value, and love is at the heart of that. That transformation that Jean Vanier found was in the transforming power of love. So as we get ready for the holidays, as we think about all that we've got to do this week leading up to Christmas Eve, I'm sure the TV will be on and somewhere in the corner there'll be a Hallmark movie running that familiar script. But the script I want to challenge us to live is a script that also has love at the heart of Christmas. But that script follows something like this, love where we love the world. We humble ourselves because of some greater purpose. A love which seeks to do what is right because it is what is right for the world. And a love which seeks to change the world because that's what Christmas is all about. Love which changes the world. And so may we write a script for our lives that uses this formula that has love at the very heart of it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.